Stuart Holman here. Thanks for joining me for the third in our series of daily devotionals that follow Jesus' journey to the cross. Having been arrested and condemned by the Sanhedrin, Jesus is now on his way to the cross, but it's not a direct path. There are some twists and turns. Some of the details of the next events are only recorded for us in Luke's Gospel, whereas Matthew and Mark and John kind of skip over them perhaps because they are writing for a slightly different audience or with a different angle or a different purpose. All of the Gospels, however, tell us that after the Sanhedrin judged Jesus worthy of death, that they took him to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate to press for his execution. And so we're going to pick up the narrative now in Luke chapter 23, verse 1. Then the whole assembly, that is the Sanhedrin, rose and led Jesus off to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes the payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and to the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted, He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. Now Pontius Pilate was the local representative of Roman power. He was the governor of the province of Judea. And normally he would be residing in Caesarea but uh, he travelled to Jerusalem for the great Passover festival. Uh, there's no record of uh, Pontius Pilate being interested in the Jewish religion at all, or indeed in doing the Jewish people any favours, quite the opposite. But his presence in Jerusalem for the Passover probably ensured that there was less chance of trouble from the Jews, whom he actually despised. In fact, historical sources outside of the Bible describe Pilate often acting in ways that offended the religious sensibilities of the Jews. He was a career politician from a wealthy family who was actually removed from office after violently suppressing an armed Samaritan uprising with such force that the Syrians complained to Rome and that actually resulted in Pontius Pilate's removal or sudden retirement from office. So it is this Pontius Pilate that Jesus is brought before. He's, he's not a man from whom Jesus might expect a sympathetic hearing. Looking carefully though at the text, we notice that the charge that is brought against Jesus has been adjusted to suit the Sanhedrin's purpose. The, the charge in verse 1 is sedition, that is subverting the nation, calling people to rebel against Rome by not paying their taxes. And worse, he claims to be a king. And anyone setting themselves up as a king in opposition to Caesar must be dealt with very severely. So Pilate questions Jesus about his kingship, but he determines he's no threat to Rome. And he just throws out the charge. Of course, the Sanhedrin starts stirring up a commotion, opening up the door for Pilate to send Jesus to Herod Antipas, who was the governor responsible for the Galilee area, who was also in Jerusalem for the great Passover festival. 
What sort of a man was Herod Antipas? Well, this is the same Herod who toyed with John the Baptist in jail until he was forced to have him beheaded by his second wife, Herodias, who had formerly been married to his brother, Philip. So Herod Antipas's reputation was not as a great statesman. In fact, quite the opposite. So reading on in Luke chapter 23, on hearing this, that is that Jesus had been in Galilee, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed him and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they'd been enemies. So it seems that Herod was hoping that he might see Jesus perform a few magic tricks. His reputation as a miracle worker uh, was widely acknowledged. We know this uh, even from texts that are outside the Bible. But Jesus was not going to play that game with Herod, nor would he entertain any of Herod's questions. Now, of course, chief priests followed Jesus to Herod and they continued making accusations against him. Herod perhaps eventually tires of this and Jesus' silence, and so he just ridicules and mocks Jesus and he sends him back to Pilate, dressed up like a king. Reading this, we ponder the question as to why Luke might have included it in his account. Why, While the other Gospels don't, they chose not to. Not so much seems to happen, so why include it? Well, Luke was a bit of his historian, as we know, and so he might have just included it simply because, well, that's what happened. But Luke's final observation in verse 12 is actually the key. That day, and through this event, Herod and Pilate became friends. That's Luke's editorial comment at the end of the scene, which suggests the reason for its inclusion in the narrative. The opposition of the Sanhedrin to their Messiah has effectively united disparate Roman forces against Jesus too, rejecting him, mocking him, and treating him with contempt. Roman governors notoriously competed against one another, undermined each other as they fought for even greater power. But here, the Jewish leadership has effectively united Herod and Pilate as friends in opposition, not just to Jesus, but against the Jewish nation. Same theme is picked up and amplified in Acts chapter 4. But for now, Jesus is returned to Pilate for sentencing. Herod has judged him as a joke, as a nothing king, only to be despised and mocked. So it's now not just the Jews against Jesus. Rome's representatives have united in dismissing Jesus as of no consequence. All that remains for Pilate is to sentence him. So I wonder how we respond when Jesus is mocked. 
Indeed, it seems that our culture increasingly dismisses Jesus, makes him to be a joke, and even accuses him of all kinds of evil. How should we respond to that? I find there can be, I guess, kind of competing concerns in this situation. Sometimes there's an instinctive reaction that wants to fight back, to, to defend Jesus' honour, to not allow his reputation to be diminished. That's the fight reaction. There's also the fright reaction, to, to freeze or, or to even run away. Perhaps we don't want to offend. We, we don't want to argue. Maybe we, we don't want to be identified with Jesus. What does Jesus do in this situation? Well, what should we do in this situation? First thing is to say that Jesus doesn't need our help or our protection. The living God who has all power doesn't need our defense or support. He'll be just fine. But on the other hand, that aggression against Jesus does sometimes provide an opportunity. Why is our friend so angry or so opposed to Jesus? Is it really about Jesus or is it about Christians or, or the church or something else? Sometimes, and I'd say just sometimes, there might be an opportunity to ask some of those why questions. Perhaps there's an opportunity to move the conversation from the hurt or the offence to actually talk about Jesus himself, which is really the main game. Already we've noticed that Jesus wants to engage with his accusers on the issue of his identity. Is he really God's Messiah? How do they know he's not? What are their assumptions as they look at Jesus? Notice also, however, that sometimes we see Jesus choosing not to throw his pearls to the pigs. Instead, he prefers silence rather than fanning the flames of a conversation that's going to go nowhere. Where Jesus' reputation is mocked or diminished, where his love is spurned or dismissed, may we have his wisdom to know when and how to speak for the good of those with us and for the growth of his kingdom. Perhaps that will be your prayer today too.